Hello and welcome to a nice joint production of Consumer Choice Radio and the Consumer Podcast. We're broadcasting on the radio, on podcast devices, thanks to Podcasting 2.0 and right there in your pocket. I am a uh, part of the trio here today, Yael Osaski Broadcasting, back from, uh, I guess, a little bit of an Italian holiday in the studio, and I'm joined by my trusty colleague, David Clement in Toronto. David, how goes it? Oh, it's going well. It's going well. Um, no, no complaints here. You were in Italy. I had a nice week away in Muskoka enjoying um, the wonders of cottage country here in Ontario. So rested, relaxed, um, did my first triathlon last week. Very excited about that. Um, yeah, so things are good. Things are good. And we also have Bill Wirtz on the, uh, on the line here. Indeed. We have our colleague Bill Vietz. He's the host of the Consumer Podcast, which you can also subscribe to. Uh, or if you guys are Bill's listeners, uh, thank you for tuning in to Consumer Choice Radio. Bill, back at the mic. Uh, you also took a little bit of vacation recently. Well, thanks for doing this together, guys, first of all. And uh, this is actually episode 80 uh, of the Consumer Podcast. So uh, trying to catch up with you guys, but you're doing it every week. So it's really hard to catch up, actually. Uh, yeah, I was I was away a bit. I was in the United States trying out all the foods that presumably, presumably will poison us if we import them to Europe. So uh, I'm still alive. So there seems to be nothing to this uh, rumor. Wow. Booze. This guy's on message. Doesn't matter where he goes, he he keeps to the line. So way to go. So you um you had been to the U.S. Uh, before, Bill, but was this the first time you'd visited the middle of the country? Yes, I was in Chicago and then in uh, in Denver, and uh, yeah, first time in in both places. And I think so. Denver to me felt more of what you know what I thought the U.S. was supposed to look like in a way because you know the, the large very large streets the, the parking lots everywhere everything is very car heavy and in Chicago I was actually actually able to use a, a bicycle so there the city seems to be transitioning into more of sort of a pedestrian cycling friendly sort of situation uh, which you know if you spend most of your time in Amsterdam it gets very strange to be so heavily reliant on the car. Oh yeah, tell me about it. Um, that's kind of the price you pay for living out in in the West. But there's a reason that you know Colorado was the uh, the setting of Galt's Gulch in Atlas Shrugged. For those of you who read that, it was the the pioneer territory, right? There was nothing to conquer out there, and uh, or there was everything to conquer out there. And uh, now it's a it's a nice little bustling metropolis. I like Denver a lot. Did you get over to Boulder by any chance? I did not. I, I, I keep hearing about it in usually songs, but uh, it wasn't too far. But then again, you know, if you feel out of car, then you, walking to Boulder would probably not have been an option. Uh, but uh, maybe next time. Very cool. So, you, Bill, you've, you brought us already a topic talking about uh, the food, the agriculture in the United States. You got to taste the food, those beautiful, delicious GMOs you can't get elsewhere. Uh, I guess we can start with that. And then I've got a, a couple of things here in the rundown. Uh, if you guys want to look at that, and then we can uh, go from there. So, uh, you know, tell us the culinary experience that you had. So the portion sizes will never cease to amaze me. This was the fourth time I was in the United States, and and each time I order something, you know, you make this mistake. You would, you know, two people as a, as a couple, you you're ordering something, and then you think each ordered their own. Um, but essentially, what you have to do is just share a plate because the the portions are so large. And it seems that Americans just 
it, it sort of approached this from a perspective of like let's we'll have the rest for dinner because everybody gets the, the rest of the food to go it's not everybody finishes their plate so that's not uh, that's not how they do it um and, and i think that's that's very that's very strange also um it's a strange world out there exactly it is thanks bernie and um and and then and then also the what i can't wrap my head around is the tipping culture i mean that is just like making me responsible for what people are being paid i i find that slightly strange um because i don't exactly know where i'm supposed to tip and how much of it i don't know do you guys have do you, david do you guys have that in canada as well how do you do you have do you have to establish sort of a golden rule what you do so yeah i mean there is tipping culture um here in Canada, I'd say standard is like 15%. It can go as high as 20%, um, depending on how good the service is. I, I'm I'm unclear on whether tipping culture is, is, is good um, because I do somewhat like the, the service incentive that you get in North America where... Um, people kind of go above and beyond because they know that there's a little bit of extra money that's dependent on it. And so um, that's a positive thing. But at the same time, like you said, Bill, it does put a lot of pressure on uh, on you. And then I have seen some scenarios where people tip low and then like the manager of the restaurant or the server is like, hey, was something wrong? Like, did we not do a good enough job? Um, which could certainly be awkward. Wow. That's well. Usually, usually, usually the the manager doesn't usually step in on behalf of the server. But yeah, I think this probably happened. I was also times. wondering: does it? I got the feeling that the waiters do come back to the table a lot to ask if we want more things, not just because they're friendly, but because you tip in percentages. There's sort of an incentive to sell you as much as possible. No. Well, I guess now I'll have to give you a little lesson from the kitchen, Bill, because uh, I was a waiter there for a couple of years. You obviously have the incentive to upsell as much as possible. So not drinking water. I need to get you on soda. I need to get you a beer. How about a cocktail? I need you to get that appetizer. Because then instead of your bill being, you know, $19, yeah. like if I can get up to 45 well, and it's... then I know I'm going to get more. And the history of it is, is interesting, too, because it was um, in French, you know, we say pour boire, and the same with uh, uh, German, trinkgeld, drink money. And like the whole history of it back in the day was that you're out at the pub, you're drinking, you're having fun, but the server, the waiter, you know, he's having to work. So you gave him a little bit so he could enjoy a beer, you know, in his off time. Yeah. And one of the things you'll notice, I don't know if you ordered any burgers while you were out, um, you sit down at a restaurant and you order a burger and it's, you'd be like, oh, and would you like bacon? And I'm like, oh, I didn't think about that. Maybe I do. And there's a bit of an extra charge. What about cheese? You're like, yeah, you know what? I, I would like some cheese. And next thing you know, you've added four bucks to your burger. <laughs> so you do see a lot of that. Yeah, and that's why uh, people hear my accent whenever I'm in a certain area, and they, they love to see that American going around Europe because the expectation is you're going to be leaving big tips for everybody. Um, so speaking of tips, I'll tell you where they did not leave any tips. Uh, at the G7 in Munich, Germany. <laughs> I wanted to, to talk, uh, talk about this a little bit because most people don't, really cover these large political uh, sort of meetings. Who knows really what's happening there? But we got more of an insight here. We got a couple of clips uh, that came from some of the interviews that the world leaders were doing. So this is the major you know, G7 countries. Uh, we saw uh, Justin Trudeau doing some interviews, Boris Johnson, uh, obviously Joe Biden. Probably couldn't get him for an interview. He was kind of walking off. Uh, but we do have uh, some very interesting clips that came out of that. And there was a couple of interesting insights 
Uh, apparently, they're all all little mini comedians, you know, because this is the ongoing trend in our society, guys. Don't you know that uh, if you want good political comedy, uh, you just listen to politicians. Uh, but if you want, you know, great, amazing political analysis and insights, you listen to comedy and uh, comedians on late night television. Um, so I don't know if we'll be able to hear this clip. This is the one that Bill sent in. Uh, this is the uh, G7 leader sitting down and kind of joking about making a Putin uh, shirtless photo. <laughs> yeah, we probably terrible quality for the for the podcast and radio show here, but uh, yeah, it's all the focus on uh, what's happening with Russia, and then we also have this uh, nice little clip between Macron and Biden. I'm pretty sure he did not intend to have this uh, being recorded, but there's a clip of Macron going up to Biden and telling him about uh, you know our oil partners in the Middle East. Let's see if we can hear this. It's a, bit, a little better to understand. So you probably can't hear it too much, but he's talking about uh, essentially he talked to the leader of the United Arab Emirates who had talked to the Saudis, basically saying that they're at pretty much at peak capacity. They can't really put out any more barrels. And in the end, he gives a nice little nudge to Joe being like, yeah, it'd be great to have some American oil uh, you guys can export to, to help out the world there a little bit. So, What do you guys think of that clip? I, I, I don't think, by the way, that Macron did this mistakenly. I mean, the journalists are just a couple of, oh, it was on purpose. Couple of meters away. I think this was done on purpose to put pressure on is for people to genuinely hear this. And again, you can find the videos online with the subtitles. And it's very interesting how Macron talks to Biden about it and how Biden actually tries to get out of the conversation, probably aware that there are uh, cameras and microphones around. So I, I, I do think this was... You, you think he's that aware, Bill? <laughs> I'd like to give him credit. Uh, for, for, for probably trying to avoid this conversation as most politicians probably would like to, especially on this issue. Um, so, so I do think Macron was trying to make a point here that there's a genuine need for American uh, exports when it comes to oil. And, uh, and, and I think the numbers really back that up. And Macron also has sort of a, 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 this face of, well, we're kind of at the end of the road here in terms of our options if, if, if sort of the Emirates and the Saudis can't deliver. Yeah, it was very much like, a, okay, we need you now, Joe. <laughs> we need you to pull through here. Um, please save the day. And the thing is, in the U.S. context is the, the, the back and forth I've seen. I mean, you have progressives being like, wow, the oil companies have record profits, blah, 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 blah. Um, but it's you, like this, is a, this isn't just like turning on the taps per se. There's like infrastructure spending that needs to happen, and I think some on some side of the industry they're saying, okay, but we need certainty that like you're also not going to end our industry in the next ten years like you campaigned on, because we're not going to dump billions of dollars into expanding all of this only for you to uh, uh, to turn off the taps when when the conflict. Uh, the the invasion in Ukraine is over and let's say the Ukrainians have won or um, Russia retreats or whatever the end result is um, or the Europeans are fully off of Russian gas um, like what happens next 
And I don't think the Biden administration has given them enough certainty to yeah. be like, okay, forget what we said. That was prior to this disaster. Um, we're in a new world here, and we're going to regulate accordingly. Mm, yeah, I think that's a it's a strong point. I played a well, I was going to play a clip, David, but you weren't there about uh, from Jennifer Gramholm, who is the Secretary of Energy in the U.S., uh, who's the one who did campaign against uh, the oil oil companies, oil exploration. Uh, also, was born in Canada, David. I didn't know that, but she's a Canadian citizen as well, and uh, she's a interesting yeah, big position. She's a BC gal. So we. So what you're saying is we are not sending our best. They're not sending their best. <laughs> we are not sending our best. I mean, between between her and then on the Republican side, David Frum, uh, we are not sending our best, apparently. Yeah, I could have said Ted Cruz. But uh, yeah, I, I looked into it. There have been 22 uh, yeah, Ted- American uh, politicians who were born in Canada. It's kind of interesting. Uh, there's a couple of reps as well, a couple of current House reps, uh, most of them born to American parents. So really, Jennifer Graham is the only... You know, pure dyed in the wool Canadian. Uh, yeah, so the G7 stuff still going on. I'm sure there'll be some strange announcements, some some energy stuff that'll be talked about. Um, I know I wrote an article, um, really hoping that Joe Biden would turn into the gas salesman, uh, the oil salesman now, because the uh, the war is still going on and the inflationary pressures, particularly in the energy markets, are not looking good. Uh, probably my energy rates are going to raise here very soon, which I'm not happy about. And, uh, yeah, it's not looking good. I don't know, Bill, if you got any closing thoughts here before we go to break. Well, uh, I, I do think, well, you tell us how much time we have before the break. But I, what, I did find it interesting that all the talk about oil is being had while uh, the leaders are flying up to the mountain for the G7 and taking journalists with them. And Politico actually had, did have an interesting article uh, there about it, uh, where they say that there was actually no time being saved compared to going up there by bus. And journalists were taking up there with a helicopter that burns a thousand liters of fuel, um, I think, in a minute. So uh, that's uh, that's pretty crazy and quite irony. Yeah, ironic indeed. Ironic indeed. Uh, just like having ads on a podcast, having a commercial break, which we'll have right here. Uh, you guys continue listening to our joint uh, consumer podcast, Consumer Choice Radio. We'll be right back after this. And we're back here on Consumer Choice Radio, a joint podcast here with the uh, Consumer Podcast. Uh, Bill was telling us about the uh, the helicopter that the uh, G7 leaders were taking up to the mountains uh, at the same time that they're talking about energy. They're trying to find alternative sources for oil and gas for the European continent so we don't have to pay the Russians anymore. And uh, meanwhile, all the administrations are, you know, still clinging to the climate policies that really mean they're not supposed to be doing any of that stuff. Uh, but we can see that the uh, the, the uh, tune has changed. Yeah, well, I mean, I wish we would just have someone who would refreshingly say, hey, the climate stuff is going to be on hold for a little bit <laughs> because we have bigger issues and um, we don't want to fund the Russian war machine. So... We're going to maybe put a pause on some of our lofty goals that we campaigned on in the in the interim, um, because you can't really have it both ways. It's very difficult. Um, it's very difficult for Joe Biden to expand um, oil exports and production, and then at the same time hold some of his campaign pledges. Um, and I mean, just given the, the the economic turmoil and the rising cost of living, it's probably it would probably be a good time politically for Biden to pivot to like the the Bill Clinton, it's the economy, stupid, um, type of democratic approach. Will he do that? I don't know. 
um, but that would probably be the best route. Yeah, it could be. I don't know, though. There's a lot of, um, I don't know if you guys heard, but there's some distracting things happening in the United States. You know, apparently uh, democracy has died, uh, according to Wanda Sykes. Sorry, I, I, I'm going to play this now because I figured we're already uh, talking a little bit about uh, democracy and uh, things dying. And I already mentioned the uh, politicians making jokes, and then uh, the comedians are the ones doing politics. A democracy, right? I mean, we're it's, it's no longer majority rule. No, certainly no, not right? in the Senate. Certainly yeah. not in the representation it's, of the it's, Supreme it's Court. Not, yeah. It's not. It's no longer majority rule. And and I mean, it's like the, these judges that just they they basically lied when they were you know being during their confirmation hearings, right? right. Yeah. Especially Kavanaugh. Well, to me, it's like the problem is that middle stuff. It's, it's those states in the middle, that, that, that red stuff. Mm -hmm. why, why do they get to tell us what to do when the majority of us live out, you know, New York, California, and we're paying for all this crap, really? I mean, right? Yeah. We, we're yes. footing the bill. Well, that's, that's the union. It, it's yeah. supposed to be representative democracy, but it turns out to be minority rule right now. Right. And coming up next, Justin Bieber with his, so, ne his next track. Yeah, yeah, Bill, Bill. Okay, so yeah, I mean, the thing when when she says that, why are they making the rules for us? So, I think the Roe v. Wade overturning is is not good. Um, you're going to see some very restrictive bills in Republican states be re-implemented. Um, there's a whole host of negative consequences. I find the the very strident pro-life position to be quite naive um but that but this is not red states telling blue states what to do um it's telling the states to do whatever they want and so the blue states can still do the blue things um and so it, it, that's with that type of analysis i'm like well you don't really understand that like new york can still have whatever laws it wants on let's say reproductive rights um Texas is going to be different, but Texas is not telling New York to change their law. Um, I think the Texas law is bad, but you got to realize what the overturning of Roe v. Wade is and what it isn't. And I, I mean, it's like a lot of people just fail the civics class. <laughs> I think I think we should do uh, a quiz with people and actually use the script from what we just heard and then ask people, was this said by a conservative in 2015 when the Supreme Court overturned the the the, 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 the rules on same-sex marriage or was this done after Roe v. Wade? Because um, this could equally have been said by a conservative when same-sex marriage was allowed in the US. And so the consistency doesn't really apply. Everybody believes in sort of what regions or states should be allowed to do whenever it suits them. It's too political. It's just not really based on sort of what the principle ought to be. Well, yeah, same for cannabis course, and, the, and so the, many other topics. Yeah, and the flip of that would be, right, if you got rid of the Electoral College and you allocated senator, Senate seats based on population, um, you'd have New York and Texas deciding what the red state, what, what life looks like. for the, you'd have the, You could have people in red states saying the exact same thing, being like, well, why do people in California and New York get to decide what the land use regulations are in Iowa. Well, I mean, well that's federalism. And, and yeah. the point is everybody hates it because nobody has absolute majority rule. That's kind of the point. Uh, that's that's a, a major so-called problem in the European Union, right? That member states still have power bill, which I know you cover a lot. 
which is very problematic for central planners who would like to implement one rule for everybody. But oh, yeah, this absolutely. stuff is messy, and that's probably a good thing. Absolutely. And I mean, the European Union even has stronger rules, because as far as I understand, it's not that the state can uh, veto legislation done federally uh, in, in, in Washington, D.C., but in the European well, Union. Well, last time we did that, we had a civil war. That was nullification, <laughs> but we won't talk about that. <laughs> but but in any way, I mean, on, on specific legislation, individual member states can just say no. And if one member state in the European Union says no, it won't go through. And that's even a stronger sort of system compared to what the U.S. has. But I mean, ultimately, the question would be, well, why would uh, member nations in the European Union sign up for this because, you know, I'm from Luxembourg, a very small country. So if you went by population size, then also we would be outvoted by Germany each time. So sort of the, the reason why individual countries are a member of this is because the rules were made in a way to appeal to them to join in the first place. Um, so it's my understanding as well that sort of the, the Electoral College or also the, the way that the Senate is, is organized in the US is, is, is by that representational system where it's two per state, not according to to uh, population size. Yeah. And it's a bicameral legislature, right? So you you have the House version, you have the Senate, and that's the whole point. And and what I'm about to say will probably make a lot of Democrats or progressives fume, but like the way in which the Senate is allocated allowed for Joe Manchin to save the nation from an additional like $6 trillion of federal spending and the, the further inflationary impact of, of that. Um, and so, I mean, that that is consequentially one good outcome of the fact that West Virginia happens to have two senators and uh, the way in which the Senate broke down is he got to be the voice of reason in between the Democrats and Republicans saying maybe we maybe we need to hold the, the presses for a little bit and um, take our foot off the gas on spending. I think I think I think where some of the people who criticize sort of the, these 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 veto powers or this 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 you know this this way in which the system worked have a point is when you know politics gets really in the way of what the actual issue is so i, I think in in the case with specific u.s senators oppose or, or approve a bill doesn't necessarily have to do with them agreeing on it but having played politics on issues that they support so for instance in the european union we have similar things so i know that for when the uk was a member of the eu Spain was vetoing legislation that the UK wanted because Spain and the UK are still fighting over this uh, this island, this half island of, of Gibraltar. So just because of that, everything that came out of the UK when it came to legislation was blocked by Spain. It had nothing to do with the actual issue. It's just blocked because for the sake of it. And so so that happens. So these trade-offs happen where we don't know why was this vote taken in this way. We don't have actual transparency on how the, the politicians were acting. Oh, yeah, indeed. And I uh, wanted to play actually a small clip of a uh, good old Boris Johnson. Uh, so he was at the G7 event as well and had a little sit down with uh, Jake Tapper. And uh, he talks a little bit about democracy and uh, the sort of media class is stating that uh, the U.S. looks like it's just lost all democracy. What do you think about that, Boris? And I think he had some very good insights. We're here at the G7, a gathering of the world's leading democracies. When I talk to friends in Canada, the UK, Australia, and elsewhere, people express concern about the United States as United States. about the United States in terms of our ability and our institutions to, to thrive and continue after what happened uh, with the election of 2020. They worry that democracy is on life support in the United States. People might not know this about you, but you were born in the United States and until recently you I had, was. And I, I was. I was. I was born in New York City, uh, uh, a, a fantastic place. Jake, where, where, were you born? Born? where were you born in New York? 
Where was it? Uh, Staten Island. All right. Okay. I, was, I think I was born in New York General Hospital. Are you worried at all? Do you look No. I want to say this to the people of the United States. I'm not. Uh, I think that... I'll just get back to the, what I've been trying to say to you uh, throughout this interview. I think that uh, reports of the death of democracy in the United States are grossly, grossly exaggerated. Uh, America is a shining city on a hill. And for me, for my, and it will continue to be so. And I think that uh, the mere fact that uh, you know, Joe Biden has stepped up to the plate in the way that, uh, that he has uh, shows that the instincts of America are still very much in the right place. And so, yeah, there's a lot more uh, where that came from. But, uh, Bill, I was curious as to your thoughts. You're a, a, a BJ watcher, as they call it, Bojo watcher. Uh, what, what do you think of that? I don't think I want to necessarily have BJ Watcher as a title of mine, but um, no, I think I think I think he makes a good point there. I mean, I think Americans, when you know, if you if you tune into CNN uh, or any of the major networks, you get the impression that you know the U.S. is falling apart and the institutions are falling apart. Um, I mean, sure, you shouldn't necessarily look say look, look look abroad and do international comparisons, but I mean, if you do international comparisons, then the U.S. is really no. Um, uh, there's there's no rivalry there. There's actually a system where um, a courts, um, individual uh, counties and states can can oppose rules that they don't like, make choices for themselves, have a lot of individuality, which you don't really get. I mean, if you look at a country like France, everything is being done in Paris. The president decides everything. You build a bridge in the south of France, and you still need to get it approved in Paris. You don't have that sort of uh, uh, thinking and, and system in the US and you have a lot of decision making that is done in, at, at the grassroots it's actually it's so interesting to see that one of the examples that people give when they say like oh the system is not working is because there's some, some of these crazy people going to these town halls or hearings it's like in many countries you don't even get a hearing to go to your local uh, authority to complain about anything and, and Americans have that enormous privilege to be able to participate so uh, I, I yeah I, I, I think I think, I think I, I, he's absolutely right there in his, uh, in, his, in his analysis. Good old Boris Johnson. Good man. Um, on, the Canadian, on the Canadian side, there's, like, there's, a, there's always a hint of anti-Americanism in some of the f fanatical coverage uh, we see about Canadian or U.S. democracy. And what I find so irritating is that the people most likely to say that like, the U.S. is falling into dictatorship – um, and democracy is dying are the same people who don't care that the Trudeau government replaced an attorney general um, to get a preferred outcome on a corporate scandal because if if um, that scandal had gone a different way, it may have hurt them politically in Quebec. And we're seeing this again um, with the RCMP, which is kind of like the Canadian FBI, an undue influence from the prime minister's office in regards to details about a mass shooting um, and putting pressure on them to essentially help them politically with firearms legislation. I mean, those are some pretty serious um, violations of democratic norms, which rely on the autonomy of the judicial system or law enforcement. And so you have people being like, ah, oh, the U.S. is slipping into dictatorship. It's becoming the handmaid's tale. Um, well, at the same time, excusing the, the very shady behavior we see out of the prime minister's office. 
and I think the only reason why it carries any water here is because there's just that that underlying hint of anti-Americanism in Canadian politics where it's fashionable to uh, to over-exaggerate or highlight how awful the U.S. is. Common trade in European systems as well. We see that with the tech companies. We see that with, uh, you know, trying to castigate Ireland for not taxing Facebook enough or Apple or anything else. Bill, you know those battles well. Uh, Bill, we got a minute to go here before our break. Uh, why don't you update the listeners a bit on uh, sort of what you're working on and the things that are uh, right now on your radar. Well, so I recently wrote, and I think we, with David, we talked already about this. I had recently an, an article published on targeted advertising. Why I don't think it's actually that terrible. Interesting read there. Uh, you can you can look into that on my uh, Newsmax profile. Um, and, uh, you know, for the rest, just the regular content on agriculture and sort of the myths that go around on pollinators. And, uh, yeah, please do follow the Consumer Podcast as well. That's spelled with EU and available wherever you're listening to right now. Unless you're on the radio, in which case you actually have to use a podcast app. <laughs> Indeed. All right. Thank you so much, Bill. Thank you guys for tuning in to our joint venture. we got another segment for Consumer Choice Radio. That's it for Consumer Podcast. And welcome back to Consumer Choice Radio. A great segment there with Bill. And uh, David, I figured I'd, I'd put in a local, uh, some local songs there. That's the band Sum 41, which is uh, apparently they're from down the road from you in Ajax, Ontario. Yes, yes, they are. They are. <laughs> no other comment on local, Sum 41. Lo- no, no, I was never a Sum 41 oh, man. fan. I was more of a bl- I was more of a Blink 182 guy. I see. I was uh, totally. Uh, yeah, Sum I was, 41 was never. My I was jam. ripping everything. Uh, Sum 41 um, Spotify playlist the last couple of days. I, I was in. Ooh, I was in a frenzy. Nice. You know, I wanted to have my chocolate starfish, not dog flavored water as well. <laughs> uh, little limp biscuit. Yeah, a little limp biscuit slipped in. There's some an, uh, alien ant. Is it animal? No, alien ant farm. Animal ant farm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That he did. They did the cover of. Um, uh, what's smooth it called? Criminal. They did the cover. Yeah, smooth criminal. Wow. It was the glory days. Those were, and that's what I, that's what I'm excited about. And hopefully, a lot of people will be uh, listening to the classics when they're on a break uh, this week. So it's. Uh, that time of the year when we have Canada Day that people uh, were able to celebrate, at least here on the radio, you're hearing this, um, I, I guess, the day after, and then you still got the, the weekend, and the Americans have the 4th over there on Monday, so good, good yep. time. Yeah, it's uh, quite an exciting four you or any five plans? days What are you here. doing? What are you doing? I'm, I'm actually going to a winery. There's a great winery in Niagara um, called Ravine, and they do a... Um, uh, they do like a winery fireworks thing, um, so we're gonna be going to that. I'm pretty jazzed about it because it's the first time it's been back since uh, um, since uh, COVID. So it'll be quite exciting. You get to taste some wines, eat some foods, and watch some fireworks. Ah, oh, beautiful. Oh uh, yeah, I remember those the fireworks. We had those. Uh, I was. You know, originally planning, like I mentioned, uh, David, I was planning on making it to Canada this summer. You know, we had everything kind of trotted out. And then um, basically with uh, the air travel summer plans, uh, all the flights being canceled, airports in disarray. And then I saw a video the other day on uh, just at the Montreal airport where we would fly into. Absolute havoc. Yeah. 
Well, and Air Canada just announced that as of July 1st, they're cutting routes and on auto-canceling flights because the airports can't keep up with the traffic and they can't keep up with um, with the, the log jam that it's created. And it's, it's interesting because I've seen some commentary on this and it's like basically the employees of Air Canada are like time-limited um, on their roles. And so let's say it takes longer for um, for people to get through to security and that leaks over into them checking in. Well, once that person, let's say that, then that the one employee moves to a gate, but that gate, um, people are slow to get off the plane and they're now two hours behind. Well, that employee has now hit their like hour maximum and then they just become understaffed. Yeah, we've heard that with pilots. Uh, pilots have their, I don't know what it is, 1,000 hour a month or something like this limit. And the second they go over there, they have to scramble, and there aren't that many pilots, and yeah, it's but all the a big labor is, game. But the thing is I, that I don't understand is that you can make a safety argument in regards to flying, um, like how close the hours are together, how long the hours are, kind of like truckers. There is a, like... At some point, there's a justification for it. If you're service staff, I don't know. I I don't think that, I mean, if you were to offer people overtime pay and just pay them time and a half to deal with some of the hiccups, I'm sure they would. Um, the fact that you Well, if we can get into uh, Consumer Choice Center and embraces labor, um, I think from, from what I've understood from those who... Uh, do fly for the the airlines they're paid for their their flight time not necessarily for all of the you know gate boarding time and all this stuff so i think that's that's an additional argument is like you're working technically whatever 50 hours but you're really only getting paid you know whatever 30 45 or something i can imagine that just compounds and gets worse and worse and money many of the airlines are essentially bankrupt anyway or you know a month away from bankruptcy and we don't have enough competition, so we can't get other airlines in there. There's antitrust stuff that's happening left and right. So there's there's all types of who would have thought government interference in how these airlines should operate. Uh, yeah. So um, truth be told, that's why we won't be making it likely to Canada this summer, which I'm well, very bummed bad. about. Would have been great to, to see you. Would have been great to come by Saga and uh, hang out there in the, the studio. Miss Saga, that would have been very fun. But it, alas, we will move it to the fall uh, in shoulder season, away from the uh, summer traveling hiccups. Yeah, yeah, probably a good uh, good call because it's uh, still will. Yeah, very true. But still, we'll be making it down to America. Got to go see the the parents and the you know get uh, get the little ones to see their grandparents every once in a while. Got to do that. It's important. And uh, I'm gonna go. You know, cook my body in the south where it's gonna be. You know, <laughs> I don't know what 110 degrees or something like that every day. Absolutely wonderful. True. Uh, vacation heat is different. You can handle Vacation heat is very different. Yeah, this is swampy yeah. suburb heat, so this ain't fun. No. Yeah. 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 Ouch. Speaking of getting cooked, <laughs> um, wanted to highlight at least one recent article that I have, and usually, David, we're highlighting your articles. Um, this one is about John Oliver, the great comedian. And um, I know we talked about this earlier in the program with our colleague Bill Vietz, uh, this 
trend of the uh, comedian turned politicians who are now, you know, hashtag MAGA resistance and telling you how to think on politics and what it should be. And Wanda Sykes saying that the uh, the middle of the U.S. is basically just a swampland that we should probably obliterate and not listen to. Uh, this one's about John Oliver and his specific stance on antitrust and breaking up the companies and bringing up all kinds of examples. You know, Amazon sells its own batteries, therefore we should use all yeah. the force of the government to, to break them up. Yeah, all kinds of stuff like that. Well, I mean, the thing is, is the whole antitrust stuff, especially on Amazon, well, two things. One, Amazon sells less of their own stuff as a percentage of the stuff that they sell every year. So the trend is going the opposite direction as what you would think from the crazy people who want to break up Amazon. Um, two, everybody everybody sells their own stuff. Go to any grocery store and you got their own milk or their own brand of chips or their own brand of whatever, and they sell it alongside the brand names. I mean, it seems to be okay. We, I've, I've never heard anyone upset about that. I, I don't. I mean, I've heard some people complain about the quality of those in-house brands, but I've never heard someone say that they shouldn't be on the shelves. A grocery store should only be selling. Um, outside products but yep oh this president's choice spam is disgusting <laughs> exactly yeah <laughs> yeah i don't know what it is there and, and and the thing is is i can understand if there are you know particularly egregious situations which are isolated but again we have remedies for that kind of stuff we have lawsuits we have an entire legal system that is otherwise very bloated but you know if you have an actual complaint if uh, you believe you've been wronged and or had a contract broken, there are ways to get around that. Don't necessarily need to have all of the uh, the government change its antitrust laws. Um, I got another story here, David. This one just came out uh, yesterday. Uh, this touches on many of the different things that we discuss. Um, does have to do with cryptocurrency, but that's not the main thing. This is a story from The Intercept, which I normally would never. Uh, read these days. Cryptocurrency Titan Coinbase providing geo-tracking data to ICE, the Immigration Customs and Enforcement. Uh, so apparently they're, uh, they've sold uh, some kind of software that will allow the ICE uh, to track uh, the cryptocurrency uh, transactions uh, that are being funneled through Coinbase and many other uh, different you know, platforms. Um, not a good look. Yeah, that's not great. No, that is not great. That is not great. That's uh, that's uh, um, I, I, these companies are supposed to be defending, like privacy and and all of that jazz. I mean, they need to learn from Apple. Because Apple has fairly consistently said no, to breaking with their principles and cooperating with, um with law enforcement outside of legal channels in terms of warrants and stuff like that. Um, yeah, it's, it's upsetting. It's very upsetting because it's in there. It, it, like it, I don't know. I'm sure you're, you're as irritated as from, it yeah, as I'm not, you know, I'm really not using too many of these centralized databases or exchanges anymore. Um, go peer to peer when you can folks, but you know, to see that, this is a thing that, for me, is very problematic and is makes many arguments that we make, particularly as consumer advocates who follow government policy, is that 
there's a lot of you know government entities that purchase private goods or services from the market, which we would say usually, hey, that's that's better. You know, they're doing it for cheaper. It would cost way more if um, there was you know the U.S. government, <laughs> ICE, you know, try to create their own program. It probably costs 18 times as much. So it's good that they're going out and buying stuff in the market. But then again, they're, you know, this is the government. There are civil liberties questions here. And ICE, um, yeah, I mean, they're uh, just think of the Canadian trucker situation. I mean, this is not in isolation. Were they tracking all of the Bitcoin being sent back and forth? Were they following all the crypto that was sent here and there? Are they looking at uh, the crypto that people sent over to Ukraine? for you know some trial in 10 years when they say you were essentially buying guns for the military i mean there's all kinds of really bad stuff here just because the government's involved yeah am i gonna get in trouble in years from now because i sent my bitcoin to the ukrainian finance ministry yeah i don't know they're they're actually staying pretty busy there i don't know am i gonna they're get staying pretty for that? busy there the parliament uh, i don't know if you've even seen that but in in kiev you know they're still passing bills they're having arguments uh, they passed a sugar tax for some reason. <laughs> yeah, they're still doing stuff. They, uh, what, what did they say? They also did not allow cannabis to be legalized. So it's like on all the consumer topics, uh, not doing too well. But of course, you know, we give our full support to. Yeah, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. They're a little uh, yeah, distracted. maybe not the time to pass all these rules. <laughs> what do I know? Oh yeah, so we want to go out in a happy note here, David. Uh, you know, we got a good two uh, two minutes left. Uh, to, I guess to celebrate the holiday, Canada Day, very important. You know, got some uh, Canadian citizens over here in this household. Uh, we're going out to the countryside, going to enjoy some cooler weather, do a little bit of barbecuing, walk amongst the meadows of uh, the forest quarter um, in, in a particular section of Austria, and uh, probably come back and uh, then go to the pool. Ooh, Why not? City ooh, pools, baby. Very nice. Haven't been to a good city pool in years. But I remember as a kid... In the summer, yeah, and you just watch, and you just watch This Is Us, and you wanted to go back. To yeah, the yeah, time. it's funny because it's like, yeah, man, I remember doing that, um, like going to the city pool. Actually, there's a huge one in Oakville, in a provincial park, and it's just massive. Um, it's not like a rectangle pool; it's like a big, I don't know, like what you would see at an amusement park, um, and just like everyone would go. Um, yeah. The good old days, the good old days. The good old days, indeed. It's a it's a, it's a great time to uh, you know try to take a break from the heat, be with friends and family, enjoy all the freedoms that come with living in a liberal democracy, uh, separated from much of the violence that's happening. Uh, just east of the European continent, Canada and the U.S. are safe, and uh, you know at least it, it's a good time to enjoy all those great consumer products we advocate for. Uh, you know, during our our day jobs, David. So hopefully, a lot of a lot of people will be able to enjoy that and uh, be able to enjoy the entire weekend and and go out and get good stuff. And and uh, I know that we'll have some great interviews coming up in the next couple of weeks. It's going to be a busy time. I think we're going to have some good ones here coming up. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I hope uh, everyone enjoys their uh, their holiday, their long holiday weekend. Maybe have a few uh, adult sodas and uh, enjoy responsibly. All right, until then. From the Redwood Forest to the Gulf Stream water, this land was made for you and me. As 
I saw above.